0: This philosopher Socrates that's been around for, you know, his principle or his method has been around for thousands of years. And many of us are doing it without even knowing we're doing it. How can I modernize the approach that we can do it a little bit more intentionally without actually thinking about it? And that's why, you know, the book is all centered around this this Socratic method, but in a, in a really simple way, get clear, Be intentional, and when you do those things, opportunity shows up.
1: Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author, Maria Ross, will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge Podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business.
2: Why is it important to ask questions of ourselves and of others? Well, if you've been here at this podcast for a minute, you know that curiosity is the number one trait of empathetic people. My guest today, mental fitness practitioner, Mark Champagne, shares how we are all one question away from changing our lives. His new book, Personal Socrates, questions that will upgrade your life from legends and world-class performers, explores the pointed questions that stimulate our mental fitness and teach us how to direct our internal narrative to work for us instead of against us. Mark unpacks the prompts and mental fitness practices of legends such as Kobe Bryant, Maya Angelou, Robin Williams, James Clear, Coco Chanel, Stephen Hawking, and many others to bring clarity, intentionality, and possibility to every aspect of your life. Today, we talk about why Mark's obsession with questions is all about getting clarity, embracing intentionality, and exploring possibility. We talk about the Socratic method and why you should care about the questions you ask or don't ask in life and business. Mark shares some ideas for how to clear out your own mental fog and be more present and gives us examples of the mental fitness rituals of legends Maya Angelou and Stephen Hawking. Learn the art of asking questions to get more intentional and clear from our conversation today. Take a listen. Mark Champagne, best name ever. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Empathy Edge podcast today for this conversation.
0: Thank you. And I will take any compliment I can get. I can't wait to jam <laughs> with you.
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's it's so interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're going to dig into this topic of, of asking questions, right? Because empathy, the number one trait of empathic people is curiosity. And mm. that ability to ask questions instead of getting caught in our own loops in our own heads, enable us to, to be in the room with a person when we're trying to see things from their point of view. So tell me why you, you know, you're a writer, you're a mental fitness practitioner. Why are you so obsessed with questions?
0: Great question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I have a question, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. I, for me, it's, it's, it's really simple. The the reason that I, I get light lit up I should say by questions is because questions afford us the luxury of the pause, and the pause to, to you know take a moment before we react to something versus responding to something or the pause uh, you know to think about something a little bit further before jumping into a solution or i mean where we see this all the time you know on a zoom or in a meeting the pause before you jump in with you know your answer to something versus really truly listening and being present and then then interacting a little bit more consciously right or with empathy and and whatnot so for me it's just you know questions allow us to to do that right and the other thing too when you relate it back to just life in general the biggest thing that i've learned is that we're all one question away from a completely different life right i mean you can you can answer something I as love simple that. right <laughs> am i happy depending on how you a- answer that question whether you decide to do anything with that knowledge and, and that data now whether you answer yes or no I mean, that can completely change your life.
2: Mm-hmm. I remember years ago when in one of my my job transitions, asking myself that like actually sitting down for a minute instead of the the busyness of work and the busyness of ambition and and being excellent at what I did for the sake of being excellent at what I did, <laughs> I actually stopped and said, Do I actually like this profession? Yeah, And that yeah. was a moment. Like that was like, okay, just because you're good at it doesn't mean it has to be your career
0: of course of course but it's hard because and it, you know I i like to give us or, or give all of us um, you know some credit because society is set up to put us on an autopilot or on the treadmill so no matter where you turn from what we eat to what we think and what we do I mean it's all just autopilot essentially and for me I want the autopilot to be functioning well when I'm on a plane and the pilots are taking a break, but everywhere else in life, you know, anything I can do to break that trend and think, you know, that's, that's what I'm striving to do. And that's what I've noticed just interviewing hundreds of people on my own podcast is that they use questions and they, they implement reflective practices to slow that down and make better decisions. Mm
2: -hmm. And I find as someone who's always, you know, thinking or talking faster than I can think that what has what has been helpful is actually using a question this is going to sound maybe negative as a stall tactic to be able to process my own emotions in what someone is saying and so that's why when we talk about like in the empathy edge in the book when I talk about curiosity those magic three words of tell me more or what do you Mm. mean by that or tell me more about that you know just getting people to talk more and before you react to the initial thing that they've said.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, so I have an example that might be helpful with this. It, it has to do with, uh, it, it's coming from someone I interviewed, and he's he's in the book as well, Cal Fussman, who uh, is just a legendary uh, writer with, uh, in the past with Esquire for, I think, most of his career, then he left that, and now he, he runs his own podcast. And works with different companies, but he's one of those individuals that leaves you kind of hanging on this edge of your seat with just the way he speaks. And the the insight he left with me when it comes to how do you ask the best questions, um, really to me as an interviewer is helpful, but just in what you're saying, I mean, I think there's a lot of people when you're on, you know, on a Zoom or in a meeting and we all automatically start thinking, like we start thinking of our responses before the person even, you know, is finished speaking. It's classic, right? I mean, <laughs> totally I, do, I totally guilty,
2: totally <laughs> guilty. Yeah, so am I. I
0: mean, we all are in a certain capacity. But what Cal, you know, Cal's practice that he left me with, which was specific to interviewing, also can apply here, and and it's as follows. Because it, it links to presence. And so for Cal, when he's interviewing people and he's interviewed a lot of the U.S. presidents and like Muhammad Ali, Robert De Niro, all these different celebrities. And his interviewing flow is to do the prep, write down every question he can he can think of and just have this giant sheet of prompts and things he wants to know. But then as he goes into the interview, he just rips up that page and You know again this is where in a meeting as well go into the meeting or whatever it is prepared but then rip it up and be dialed into the conversation and here's the the best part like we can trust our mind to pull the the necessary information or in the in the interviewing case pull the question that makes the most sense Mm -hmm. right and then you're you're in it you've got nothing to be looking for you've got nothing to be you know trying to think of what you're gonna ask next just listen Right. And we can Mm -hmm. just, I've used it myself in my own, uh, interviewing prep and practices and stuff like that. But I, I find myself using that across the board Mm -hmm. in examples like what you just mentioned.
2: Yeah. I mean, even for this podcast, I usually have a few questions I know I want to ask, but then you have to be able to be, you have to be able to read the room and be in the moment and see where the conversation takes you. Otherwise you're not actually present in the moment. And so, um, I actually want to get to that because i love that you started already like this idea that people have of what are the right questions to ask and yeah. how do you how do you ask them in a way where it doesn't feel like you're interrogating somebody right because there's people yeah. that sort of hear that advice and then all of a sudden they're in a meeting and they're like why do you think that why are you doing that <laughs> and they have yeah. all good intentions but but you you know you called the book personal socrates so can you i don't know if this lends itself to answering that question of how can you ask good questions or better questions, but talk to us about the Socratic method.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Socratic method, the, the backstory between or behind the the book title was uh, first of all, I didn't like the book title uh, at the beginning. It was the publisher who was also a good friend who suggested it. And, and I'll never forget that conversation because I was explaining the, my process of, of working with questions and how, you know, what the book was all about. And then also explaining how the guests of my podcast were all using questions. And immediately, uh, the, the guy's name is Joey, the founder of Baron Fig. And he said, Oh, so the Socratic method. I'm like the Socratic what? I mean, I know Socrates, like <laughs> right, like right. anyone else. I mean, I'm we sure i have knew, I'm high level. I'm sure I level. knew what it
2: was in high school at one point, but I actually yeah. need, need a refresher. So refresh us yeah. on what the Socratic method actually is. Well,
0: so did I. So I mean, again, I knew of Socrates from at one point in, in 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 education, but that that was as far as it went. So when I started looking up the Socratic method, and again, I knew that okay, the Socratic method from, from my knowledge was just you ask a lot of questions essentially. And when I started looking into it, I'm like, oh, there's an actual method here. There are six question types and it, it, it happened to be used quite a bit in an academic setting, which that's where I was starting to, like the wheels were starting to spin because even the six question types, there's clarity seeking questions, there's challenging assumptions. And then there are another four that I can't ream off. They're in the book. And that's the problem is that I can't just think of six question types all the time, which means there's no way that we can just use that organically within the day or in a conversation. So that's when I started to get really interested in the fact that, okay, well, here's this this philosopher Socrates that's been around for, you know, his principle or his method has been around for thousands of years. And Many of us are doing it without even knowing we're doing it. How can I modernize the approach that we can do it a little bit more intentionally without actually thinking about it? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why, you know, the book is all centered around this, this Socratic method, but in a, in a really simple way, get clear, be intentional. And when you do those things, opportunity shows up. I mean, we can all remember that it's not, it's not that hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the idea behind the title is that we can all be our own personal Socrates, mm-hmm. right? We all have that. It's like we have our our little coach sitting on our shoulder at any moment's notice, no matter what's happening in life. And even even more excitingly, where we're at in life. Like that's the thing that, that lights me up about questions is that I can ask you a big question like, what do you want for your life? Which is the one that changed my life when starting this book. And, you know, it may not resonate with you, now because you may have already thought of that, and so have I. Versus someone that might be, you know, stuck or maybe their world's unraveling. Well, that question can pause that narrative and completely change, you know, where they're heading. So, you know, these questions, depending on where you're at, will resonate in different ways, and there are just an endless amount of way uh, ways to use these prompts mm-hmm. to help us. Right. So, mm-hmm. so that's the idea behind um, behind the book and then and the, and the framework.
2: Well, I love that because there's also this, at least for me, it feels like questions help us soften our ego. And so it's, you know, we're so, we're so pressured to know all the answers all the time, you know, especially those of us who are in fields where we're thought leaders or we're experts brought in. And yes, you have to bring some of that in to conversations, but, but there's this sense of it's, it's okay to release yourself a little bit from that and get curious and ask questions And you have to quell your ego to do that. Yeah. What do you think about that?
0: Oh, I mean ego is a big one and it's it's some again, back to the autopilot. I think it's something that comes up more than we think. You know, when we when you you think you're when you're in conversation and you're charged about a situation and it continue let's say it continues to escalate. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you pause and really take some moment, you know, a few moments to write down what how you're feeling and what's fueling it. Mm -hmm. I mean odds are you're trying to fuel your ego to be right Mm. in a situation and this plays out in so many different cases but the thing is you have to be clear enough mentally you know the fog needs to be lifted in your mind to be able to even recognize that that's happening and that's again that's that's when where all these mental fitness practices come in they they allow us again the luxury of being clear and clearer to recognize well wait a second if i continue down this path it's, it's just fueling my ego. Is it actually going to help the situation? Mm-hmm. And then now you're, now you're awarded that pause again to make a different decision mm-hmm. on how you're going to move forward.
2: I love that you segued to this. Cause I want to talk about, you know, a lot of what I talk about with empathy is being able to get outside of your own stuff and yeah. make, make space in your brain to be able to take on another person's point of view without defensiveness or fear. And that requires presence that can require deep breathing that can require whatever it is for you that helps ground you and help you feel in your words mentally clear. Mm-hmm. So, what are some what are some what is some guidance you have? I don't want to use the word tips with you because I feel like that cheapens what you actually do. So, <laughs> what is some guidance that you have on how we can clear out that mental fog?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you could use the word practices, I think, cuz mm-hmm. th- th- I like a word like that because first of all, practices allows us the uh, the leeway to know that it's a practice so we're going to mm-hmm. continually work at it and mm-hmm. over time we'll get better and better at it but i mean it, what, what comes to mind is just th- this line that i was left with uh, with claude silver who is the chief heart officer at, at vayner media and you know I, now i think she's uh you know has a thousand people basically she's you know responsible for or, or i should say has to hold space for and that was what I was left from her was that to you know to really properly hold space for another human you have to first hold space for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like that classic, you know, put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. Well, it's, there's actually some validity to that. Because it's it's nearly impossible to really be there for another person and be present for another person if you have this whole internal narrative spinning about, I have to do this, I have to do that. Or this last conversation, you know, didn't go very well. I have this relationship that's bothering me. It's all this mental fog and baggage that stays in our mind Yeah. and they're small, but they keep adding up. So if you can visualize, it's like, you know, it's like being in a room that's jammed floor to ceiling with boxes and stuff. Well, as soon as you start taking the stuff out of the room, then all of a sudden you can see what's in the back of the room and mm-hmm. you can navigate and you feel clear and, and our minds are no different, right? So then we have all the knowledge that we need. We have we have the 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 path, but we just need to be able to see it. So to do that, I mean, this is where, I mean, this is where I spend the most of my my time is just figuring out the things in your life that you know without question will put a smile on your face. List those things out. Right, and that could because it'll be different for everyone. Maybe that's taking a walk. Maybe that's meditating. Maybe that's exercising. Maybe it's going to an art gallery and just taking in, you know, art. But figure out what those things are and make sure that they're injected into your calendar. Right, and it could be as simple as taking ten minutes after you eat lunch to take a walk, and just not with a podcast. No, no disrespect to podcasts. We (laughs) both have them, but you know, just nothing in your ears just just be present with you know walking and what's happening and while you're doing that actually you're actually training your curiosity muscles to notice the details which then you'll notice the details in your work as well so it's just a Mm -hmm. loop that keeps on giving so you know the more you can do these small little things the Mm -hmm. more that that stuff will start to clear out Mm -hmm. and then of course if you want to spend time um, journaling in the morning. I mean, that's definitely my go-to, and the one that I see come up nearly almost a hundred percent with um, with the people that at least I'm I'm hanging out with and interviewing around performance and mindset. And I say a hundred percent because I'm not using the standard definition of open up a notebook and take out a pen. To me, journaling is the practice is reflection, mm-hmm. and and that can be pen to paper that can be using some sort of app that could be leaving an audio note that could be just taking a walk and thinking, but it's this act of reflecting and thinking and processing and releasing Mm -hmm. that then just, you know, opens up a whole other world.
2: Completely, completely. And and we need that if we're going to have healthy interpersonal relationships, whether at work or in life is, you know, I, I love that as you were talking, you were even using the same hand motions that I use, which is the spinning of your fingers around your ears, like the stuff <laughs> in your own head um, yeah. because, and I know people can't see us right now, but uh, but yeah, it's it's clearing out that space so that mm-hmm. everything is calm and grounded. And like now I, I'm not so charged when I go into a conversation, right? And exactly. I can be clear enough to ask a question and not feel threatened by asking that question. Yes. Um,
0: and you feel better. So you much do better. feel
2: better and I have to share like a personal little Please. nugget because I'm so proud of myself. The other day I'm dealing with like a personal conflict in my life and I took some time as I was driving home the other day to actually be like my own confidant and I've never done this. It's like finally all the, all the podcasts and the reading that I'm doing <laughs> yeah. about self improvement are finally sinking in. I started asking myself questions like out loud yeah. in my car, like, okay you're angry. Why do you feel angry? Okay. It's because of this, this, and this. Okay. Are you actually angry or are you feeling a sense of loss? Like I was going through the whole thing and then I was able to have empathy for the other person because what I got around to was, this was not about me. This was about the way this person saw the world. And so I was able to have some empathy for that and ask myself, does this conflict have to define my day? Does this conflict have to define my choices right now or my life? And I was like, no, like literally in my car. I'm like, no, it doesn't have to. Right. So, and, yes. and also this idea of like, you can love someone and not agree with them. You can love someone and, and distance yourself. Like I was, I was doing all the self-talk, right. But it was, it, it, I was interrogating myself with questions yeah. out loud, and it worked. Like I thought I wasn't going to sleep well the other night. And because I had gone through that, it was like, I, I've got this.
0: Exactly. Now imagine that was, and I'm not saying that it isn't, but just for everyone listening, I mean, that's a charged, kind of acute situation. But imagine mm-hmm. if you have a consistent practice where you're doing this, then
2: mm-hmm.
0: on a regular basis, your sleep is getting better. Yeah. You're feeling better. You're like, it's just the, the reflection and, and the benefits from it. And it yes. doesn't you're not talking an hour here, but I mean, just even a question like it was like 15 refrain. minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It was was enough to cut the cut the narrative, understand what was going on, get clear. And then mm-hmm. again, to the process of the Socratic method, you started with the clarity, then mm-hmm. you moved into intentionality because you is this worth the energy I'm giving it essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. And then now you've you have this expanded possibility and you're yeah. sleeping better and it's not bothering you.
2: Well, now it was like, you know, it was more about it, it became less of something that was happening to me and a yeah. situation in which in which I had control over. And I think we can yeah. think of we can think of work situations, dysfunctional workplaces, but also again in our own lives where where we were so stuck in our stuff that we can't mm-hmm. we can't get out of that. So um, I want to talk a little bit because in your book. You talked about some of the, the mental fitness routines or rituals of many people that we admire, many people we know and love, Coco Chanel, Maya Angelou, Stephen Hawking, Kobe Bryant. Can you share a little bit about what you learned as you investigated the sorts of, of mental fitness routines they've used to be so successful?
0: Absolutely. It, I mean, selfishly, just preparing and doing the research for- some of the people that you mentioned, like the Maya Angelus or Kobe Bryant, that uh, have passed, and I, ha- I didn't have the opportunity to, to, you know, physically interview them. All the other people that are around to this uh, today are, are people I've interviewed in the past. So those those other profiles, though, like mm-hmm. let's let's take Maya Angelou. Um, it was beautiful because I mean I was learning all these new things, right? For example, mm-hmm. and trying to look at. Her life and her work through a different lens, and in in the lens of mental fitness, and you know some of the things that I picked up from Maya that were stunning and still help me personally uh, to this day is just this idea that we're never alone in really anything that we're doing. So let me let me explain. Let's say let's say you have to give a big presentation of some sort. Or you're about to go and do something that, you know, strikes up some fear or makes you nervous. I mean, just regular human things, right? Maya had this this awesome process that she would go into mentally and she would think about all of the people in her life that love her and that support her. And she would mentally bring them up on stage, saying, I need I'm I'm corralling, I'm like my aunts and my uncles, my best friends, the people that love me, that are, that have my back. And you're going to be here standing behind me while I deliver the messages that, you know, and in her case, it was her readings and her poetry. And I mean, huge speeches, presidential speeches. You're there with me, for example. And again, it's just a mental hack to just cut the fear and know that you're not alone, right? You know, physically, physically, you may be, but mentally she was able to harness this power of, of bringing all of these people up on stage uh, with her, for example. So that that's wow. one that really, really sticks. And that I think we can all use in, in so many different situations. Yeah.
2: And what about some others that that were noteworthy to you that kind of stick in your
0: brain? You know, a lot of them. Uh, Let us someone like Stephen Hawking. Uh, I was just fascinated. I mean, that would be
2: fascinating. I would love to hear. You know, given the the adversity he had to overcome and how much he accomplished in his life, that has to be that has to be a mark of mental fitness for him.
0: Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, he. There's some lines. I'm just opening the book because I I feel like I need to to, to please, read at least please. one of these, but. <laughs> he said, There's one here. Although my body is very limited, my mind is free to explore the universe. And I was like, oh. Wow. Or he, here's another one that I, I couldn't believe. I, I had to stop the research at one point. He said, I have been very lucky. My disability has not been a serious handicap. Indeed, it has probably given me more time than most to pursue the quest for knowledge. It's like, holy smokes. Oh, lucky. my
2: gosh. Right?
0: I mean, most people know, but just in case, you know, for listeners mm-hmm. that may not, I mean, obviously Steven, he was diagnosed with uh, ALS in his early twenties. I think he was just, I want to say he was only a couple years into his career. Mm-hmm. And at the time, uh, ALS, the, you know, average life expect- expectancy was about three to five years. Mm-hmm. And he lived until I think, how old was he? I think he was in his seventies. I think so too. 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I reflected a lot. I mean, I don't have the science to back this up, but just studying him pretty intensely and seeing how he would think about things. And you just, just hearing those quotes, I think people Mm -hmm. can probably get an idea, but his curiosity and the questions to seek new answers and challenge, you know, different theories on, on the universe and, Mm -hmm. and whatnot, I really believe kept him alive. Um, to the end where literally, I mean, he was just you know, he was twitching his 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 cheekbone to communicate with people. Yeah. Yet he still had that that humor and, you know, he's given keynote presentations yeah. and he's written all books, of this stuff. He's been right? on
2: TV, so- yeah. All of it.
0: Huge, huge. I mean, a brief history of time, I think, sold something like over 10 million uh, copies of his book. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, what I learned from his profile or doing the research was just this idea of perspective. Mm. Right. And it's whenever I reread his profile, it's really about, okay, whatever I'm going through or trying to to to, uh, process. And it's not about making comparisons. It's about, well, then how would Stephen Hawking think about something like this? Right. Right. He had some serious stuff that he had to deal with. He didn't, he didn't let that, you know, hold him down. He, he took what he could do and Mm -hmm. was curious, like right full circle to how you open up the conversation. And, you know, there's, there's just this line to, or this, there's a part in the profile as well is just reminding us that, obviously his work was very much related up into the in the cosmos and the universe but even to take 5 minutes you know maybe before you go to bed and it, you step outside and look up into the sky you mm-hmm. know there's so much wonder there and just let your mind just just float and whatever comes up and again just these little micro moments of reflection they they really can go a long way
2: mm, i love that so much and i'm going to ask you based on that i'm going to ask you a little bit of a curveball question but what, do you, what would you yes. say to listeners that are like, okay, I get it. I know I should be a little bit more introspective and and ask more questions. What would you say to someone that is like, maybe I'm scared to ask myself the questions?
0: I think a lot of us are scared to ask the question. I, let yeah. me rephrase. I don't think we're scared to ask the questions. I think we're scared to give the answers.
2: Right, right. Exactly. <laughs>
0: that's that's the big thing so yeah. i mean the the thing is is i think it becomes a lot easier if we can just drop the the judgment that we place mm. on those answers yeah and again this is where where something like journaling or a pen to paper or whatever you know you know, set your ground rules first and you know for me for example unless I decide otherwise what I write in there is just for me I can Mm -hmm. share it with someone if I'd like but it's just for me Mm -hmm. and I'm also agreeing that what I write and what I release and what I think about I'm doing so without putting judgment or trying to compare myself I mean it's just free thought and flow and when Mm -hmm. you when you set those boundaries um, and I've seen this play out in in the physical world I mean I've gone to different men's group retreats where I'll never forget this it's Just outside of Boston there's 50 men in a room we've never met any of any of these people before and we set those same ground rules that you know what what is said in the room stays in the room there's no judgment we're just here to hold space and within literally an hour and a half people are opening up with about you know a whole bunch of things just various mm-hmm. childhood trauma and things they're dealing with you know, as if the relationships were last had been, you know, formed 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, we can, You know, we can we can do that in our own reflection. And, and I'm, I'm sharing these examples because that those ground rules or those principles that you're operating off of allow for you to then open up a little bit more, uh, be a little bit more vulnerable and not not allow it to feel so terrifying in the process.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for all these insights. Um, I could probably talk to you for another hour (laughs) and ask you more questions. (laughs) And um, so I just want folks to remember the book, which is out now, Personal Socrates questions that will upgrade your life from legends and world-class performers by my fabulous guest today, Mark Champagne and Mark, where can folks find out more about you? Even though we'll have a bunch of links in the show notes, can you just tell us one or two places where folks can find out more?
0: for sure. I mean, the the easiest place is just behind the human.com and you'll see I mean, if you're interested in the book, it's it's definitely there. I have link I have links there. Uh, the podcast as well is there, so that's another place to get, you know, just some quick weekly tips and tricks and mental hacks and, and stories of others on how you can implement this in the real world, right? Uh, mm-hmm. if, you, if you saw me, I'm not sitting here with a big meditation robe on the top of a mountain. I'm a regular, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that, no, but, no, nothing you know, wrong, but yeah, I, I understand the, the regular realities that we're, we're faced with. And, and then also on the website, if you're a team, right? Or a leader that with a team and you, you want to bring some of this stuff in, um, mm-hmm. I mean, just shoot me a message.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Mark. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening to another great episode of the empathy edge. As always, please share it with your colleagues or friends. Let them know what you like about it. Please let me know what you like about it by rating and reviewing it on the podcast player of your choice. And never forget that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Take care and be kind.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, Remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success.